Hi there, this is Vijay Damoji Prapu, and you're listening to the B2B Go to Market Leaders podcast. The show where I go behind the scenes with top go to market practitioners to discuss their mindset and tactics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. And this time I have with me Anshu Agarwal, who is the founder and CEO of Nimbella. And Anshu, I know you and I met, whatever, 10 years ago or so back in the day when I was at Juniper, when I was a product manager at Juniper, mm-hmm. and you were part of Ankina and Juniper acquired Ankina. That so is correct. Been a long time since we connected, but when we spoke, what about a week or 10 days ago, when I wanted to have you on the podcast, it was almost like we never lost contact or we never lost touch of each other. We kind of knew and we just picked up a conversation. So super excited and welcome to the show, Hanshu. Thank you, Vijay. It's uh, truly exciting to be here. And yes, you are right. You know, with the help of social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook, you stay so connected that it doesn't feel like that you haven't talked or met a person for 10 years. And that's how I felt when you had reached out. Yep. Amazing power of social media. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I always start my podcast and the talk with my guest with my signature question, which my listeners always look forward to as well is, How do you define go-to-market? All right. I've been in marketing for quite a long time now, and my definition of go-to-market has evolved as my thinking has evolved. But at the core, go-to-market for me is an actionable plan that tells me and my team how we will reach our target customers and how we will reach our targets. So it helps me clarify why we are launching our product understand what ideal customer profile, aka ICP is, and what is my buyer persona. So I can create a plan to engage with the ICP and convince them to buy my product, try my product, or whatever whatever I need uh, them to do. So that is my definition of go-to-market. And it used to be different before, but now it's kind of evolved into this thinking. Yep, fair enough. And this is something that I shared with my other guests as well. And spot on, Anshu. I mean, go to market and how you view it as an individual and how you bring that thinking and thought process to your company evolves with time and with wisdom. And for me, back in the days when I was a product marketer, I used to think of go to market as this just one upcoming launch and that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is a very short sighted view. And yeah. I'm happy to admit that flaw. And I'm yeah. glad that I admit that flaw. So, over time, after listening to a lot of the experts and reading of books and listening to podcasts, it's very clear that go to market is an ongoing journey. It doesn't yeah. stop. Yeah. Right. And as you said, it starts with the ideal customer profile. And then it's all about how you align your team internally to deliver on the promise, on your products, on the features to that ideal customer profile. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Terrific. I have several other questions I can double click on. So first one that comes to my mind is how do you define ideal customer profile, especially for a founding company on day zero? How do you define that and how does it evolve? So let's take an example, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to do with an example. Yeah. Ideal customer profile for Nimbella, yeah. okay? Nimbella is an application, serverless application development platform. So you can imagine the user of Nimbella's platform would be developers, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So ideal customer profile is the developer. Okay. Uh, or that's the buyer persona. But where does the developer live in? So this developer could be an indie developer. This developer could be in a small, medium, large company, any of those companies. So we figure out, you know, where are, is our application most suited for or where is our platform most suited for? It is suited for development of modern cloud native applications. Okay. So for those developers who are in these organizations that are developing cloud native applications, our platform is ideal for them. So that is my ideal customer profile. So we kind of took a step back from saying, okay, I'm going to define ICP first and then figure out who to sell to. I kind of defined where the buyer persona is and then came to the ideal customer profile. Makes sense? Yep, makes sense. And clearly, you had a vast amount of uh, go-to-market experience and roles in your all your previous roles. And that's clearly brought to fruition. And it's it's definitely helping you in your role and in at your company today. So let's talk a bit about your journey. I mean, how would you describe or how has your journey been like to date? Your evolution role, what has influenced you, the various roles and companies? And yeah, what brought you to where you are today? Okay. So I'm an engineer by background, like most of us are here, but I've been running the business side of the companies for over 15 years now. Only in tech companies though, because there's a part of me that is so attached to tech. I mean, I did my business school in marketing and, you know, most of my friends from business school went to Pepsi-Cola, Sara Lee and all those brand companies. and. Here I was and I came to Bay Area and I said, I only want to work for a work for tech company. So yep. here I am. And in tech also, I particularly only worked with cloud infrastructure. Okay. So I've not really deviated in domain, although cloud and infrastructure has had evolution, but I've never really deviated from my domain. So I've been in four startups, all acquired by large companies, um, Akamai, Juniper, that's where I met you, HPE, and Citrix was the last one. And in fact, the story was that I go through an acquisition every five years. (laughs) Wow. So after the last one, I decided I need to do something different, okay, which is starting my own company, not getting any younger. So I got together with two amazing entrepreneurs and started Nimbella. And that's where we are two years into this company. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a great experience in itself. And especially for those who are in Silicon Valley, there will come a time where you have the entrepreneurial itch that will literally almost force you to take action into starting something on your own. So congratulations to you on that. Yeah, excited for you on that. Yeah, having worked in startups, I always thought I know startups, but you know, starting your own is completely different. (laughs) Okay. So how would your kid describe what you do at work? As I mentioned, you know, I've been through so many companies and my kids think that this is the norm. Everybody does that. (laughs) So when something doesn't change in five years, Mark, you know, what's going on? (laughs) But my kids think I'm still cool. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Even though I'm outdated, even though I'm outdated on a lot of things for them. But uh, somehow I am able to work on cool technology. So that's how they will describe. Uh, They both are technical, but they still think I work on cool tech, which is impressive. That is excellent. (laughs) So talk to us about Nimbella. And I know when you and I chatted about a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. you shared a very profound insight into why you started your own company. Mm -hmm. So I want you to share that with our listeners over here. Oh, sure. Why we started Nimbella, uh, first of all, when you meet the right team, you feel the itch of starting something up your own. So the team came together. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about why we picked what we are doing, which is the serverless. Okay. I started working in content delivery. Uh, it's almost 20 years. So it's uh, content delivery was like the first cloud computing service, if you define it. Mm -hmm. And 13 years in cloud computing, various companies, uh, or 13 years in CDN, various companies, all we were trying to do was take more and more type of different content from the content owners and make it available easily and to a wider audience with lowest latency in them. And what we were seeing was you were moving more and more compute to the edge, okay? And the edge is changing. Edge keeps, right. on, keeps on moving closer to closer and closer to the end user. So when we were looking at, you know, what technologies we, and we should be looking at and how cloud computing is evolving, serverless was the domain that was something that was nascent, okay, and proprietary, mm -hmm. okay? So we looked at it from that angle and said, you know, we've been doing content delivery, we've been doing compute, moving a little bit of compute, and now let's take the full compute and see how you can offer that easily, I guess mm -hmm. that's a serverless compute, but in a non-proprietary fashion, in where there are no operational challenges for the end user to use as the developer. So that's when we started Nimbella, where we looked at serverless technical challenges, which were that it only supports stateless workloads where and the state is still managed by the developer and there were there are other technical challenges proprietary nature lots of tools to put together and then operational challenges is how do you make it available on a scale that is available to all developers not just developers who are experts but also developers who are just getting to start developing but they are developing mm -hmm. in cloud native environment yeah. and that is the reason what we are doing today good, good stuff yeah excited to see and uh, eager to hear how cloud native as well as how nimbella takes off i mean this is nascent i completely agree with you on that anshu and yeah it is nascent but it is like the number one initiative within enterprises so there is a lot of enterprises that are moving towards serverless computing paradigm, mm -hmm. and more and more applications are being written in this paradigm. So definitely nascent. There's a lot of work to be done, but that's the beauty of it, and that's the excitement that there's so much growth possible. Yeah. So what do you see as the drivers? Why are enterprise companies moving to serverless? Enterprise companies are moving to serverless because it is rapid development and deployment. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest cost in a company? I mean, there are many serverless advantages. And I can tell you one is like you don't have to manage any servers. So basically, you're relieving a big headache, okay, yeah. which is maintaining servers and several applications. Then it's almost, um, it, it is no idle time. You actually pay as you go. And even if you are managing it yourself, you're only allocating, you can grow infinitely within your infrastructure. And it will grow as your user base grows. So you're never allocating any kind of it. That's yeah. the second. The biggest advantage, though, is time to market. Yes. Okay. The reason it is the biggest advantage is because what is the biggest cost for a company? It is the development cost. Right. Okay. And if you can reduce that development cost and go to market faster, what is you're doing is you're not only reducing the cost, but you are actually accelerating your revenue. So you're hitting both sides. Yeah. of your net income here, okay? Yeah. So that's why I feel that this is such a space that if you adopt, if you adopt this paradigm, any enterprise can make, there are so much gains for the development organization that it's incomparable. 
Yeah, I mean, the parallels that I see, and I would like to get your thoughts because you're clearly the expert in this, is back maybe about five or even 10 years ago when this whole CICD movement took off. Exactly. Yes. Right. That was a big thing. So it was all about time to market. How do you make it easy for developers to release new features or bug fixes quicker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is augments your CI/CD pipeline, but what it does is it helps on the development side and the deployment side because you're able to develop in the cloud and deploy to the cloud very, very easily. And you don't need to be an expert. That's the beauty of it. You don't need to be a cloud expert. You can be a cloud novice and still do it. Excellent. Switching gears, you also talked about something else that actually motivated you to start your own company. You were part of, what, four acquisitions earlier, prior? Did I get that right? Yeah. Four, right? And then you saw both from the inside and outside, both from the acquired as well as the acquirer, on how you thought or they thought that the value was being created, but then over time, the value was being almost mitigated or even destroyed in some cases. Uh And that led you to start. That was one of the motivating factors. And I want you to hit on this because I want this message to be clear to all those, either the current founders or the to-be founders on why they should, one of the motivations for why they should start a company. So just hit on that message for us. So um, as I mentioned earlier also, you know, I was going through this startup large company exercise and having been acquired by four large companies you know, that the company's direction changes, mm-hmm. okay? Right. When you are in a startup, you are so laser focused on that little one product, yeah. okay, that you yeah. have to take to market, okay, and make it successful. And then you are dropped in this ocean yes. <laughs> where there are so many products. And now you are trying to swim in that yeah. ocean saying, you know, hey, sales guy, please sell my product, this and that. And now you are like a tiny little portfolio, tiny little portfolio product. Right. And you feel um, either you get attention or you don't. OK, so you survive or you die. Yeah. And I am a product person. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I have been in this domain for long enough and I've worked on products that I really truly believe in. Okay. And sometimes those products are lost. Yeah. Okay. Once they are in the large company, you know, you are in a $20 billion company and you, they acquired a product line of $30 million. What is 30 million when you compare it to billion dollar product lines? Nothing. Right. So when the times are rough, what happens? You kind of kill the little thing, little guy in yeah. there. And that little product could have been the future of that company. But, you know, that's how mm-hmm. large companies are. They go from quarter to quarter and they're trying to find efficiencies right. when times are rough. When times are good, you can do a lot of things. But when times are rough, that's what happens. And I being a product person at core, it really kills me. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons of starting the company is we built a company that stands on its own legs. Okay. Right. It's not a component in any large company. It can be on its own. It can run on its own. You know, acquisition can happen. Okay. And if it is worthwhile, we should always consider it. Right. But a small product in a large company is lost. Yeah. And uh, when you are trying to build something from scratch, it is going to be a small product initially. It's going to grow over time. So grow, grow that and build it so that you have a large vision. You can grow your product portfolio yourself. You don't have to be part of somebody else's product portfolio. And it may well happen that you become of somebody uh, part of somebody's portfolio, but it's an important part of the portfolio. And that's what I'm focused on. Fair enough. I mean, well said. So 
I know back in the days when I was doing my MBA, and this used to be one of the case studies. I mean, it's a classical thing, right? When you are at B school, you always talk about acquisitions and M&As. Uh-huh. And more often than not, and there's research out there, more often than not, the acquisition value post-acquisition, it actually dilutes and hurts both the acquired and the acquirer. Yeah. Right. And because there's so many factors over here, it's yes, uh-huh. there's technology, there's teams, there's processes, there's a culture aspect. And to get it right is not easy. I think one company that's done very well is Cisco. Absolutely. In terms of acquisition, making it work. Yes. Yes. But otherwise it is a pain. It's not easy there. Yeah. 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 I mean, most acquisitions, they do okay for two, three years, but then, you know, it's a cyclical business. So right. times are rough. Yeah. <laughs> they are looking at all angles. So it's yes. not just your product. I mean, I may be married to my product, but there are so many other products that Im- yeah. get impacted. But either the product should be very critical, okay? Critical part of the portfolio, or you're kind of lost in a large company. Yeah, fair enough. All right, switching gear. Now, you did mention and talk about who your ideal customer profile is for Nimbella. You talk about the developers, both indie as well as someone who is within a mid or a large size company. So now let's double click on that. What is Nimbella's go-to-market strategy? How are you thinking about it? And how did it evolve from day one? Okay. So Nimbella's go-to-market strategy is actually quite different from what I have done with other B2B companies in my past. Okay. So we are serving B2B space. So the space is the same, but the user of our product is developer and developers are kind of a different breed of buyers. Okay. And the reason is because you can't sell to them by direct marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. Yes. More show, don't tell. So if I was to sum up our GTM strategy in say one phrase, okay. It is bottom-up evangelization with some top-down commercialization because in the end, we have to generate revenue to sustain. Yeah. So what we do is we are in a product-led business. So it's not a sales-led business still. It is still product-led business. Therefore, we have to be focused on evangelization first. Okay. And we started our effort on top-down just recently because the buyer is typically an enterprise leader who is not going to, not necessarily going to swipe the credit card and buy the product without knowing more about it. Okay. They are a developer also, but they are a developer leader or CTO, cloud architect, or you name it. But those people who are making decisions for an organization, not just for themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we do evangelization through developer advocates. Okay. Either from the open source community, or they are considered experts in their domain of expertise, okay? Because what developers do is follow them and their advice. Mm -hmm. Okay, no matter how many marketing material you throw at them, it doesn't matter. It's what they consume on their own. They have to find things on their own. The content has to be educational and not sales-oriented, not Mm marketing-oriented, because the content should be influencing the developer users without crossing that boundary between education and selling. Okay. That is truly, truly important. And it's different from what I've done in the past. I've done outright blatant marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We also use gamification. As I mentioned, my buyer persona is developer. Whether they are developer leader or not, but they are developers. Okay. They they could be CTO, card architects, whatever they may be. So gamification is of interest, okay? And in fact, the current campaign that we are running, which is a three-month-long campaign, it is called Faz Wars. It's a play on Star Wars, okay? 
It is themed after Star Wars and FAS is function as a service, which is another word for serverless. Okay, so cool. yeah. pretty well. And you I still have your marketing brains there. That's a good thing. <laughs> I have a very, 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 I have a very good marketing person in the team, much better than I am. Okay, so this is their creation. Okay. Yeah. And I think every engineer I know is a fan of Star Wars. There may be few, but you know, every engineer. So in this game, you go and create your starfighter. Mm-hmm using our platform and you battle. So there are many things happening. You are learning about serverless. It teaches you serverless, okay? You're learning about our platform and you are playing a game and you are winning a prize. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's that campaign is running. We have wonderful traction with that. I mean, we have so many registrations for this and they're constantly building robots to fight. And we declared our first winner on January 30th. So two more months to go. Nice. Good stuff. I think for your next campaign, you should think something around the lines of maybe Wonder Woman. Very good idea. Yeah, you you know, uh, yeah, that's, uh, thank you. Thank you for that great idea. I'll have to pass it down to my marketing person. Yeah, very good. I think you hit all the right points there, Anshu. Um, Clearly, it's a big shift for those who are doing the classical, traditional B2B marketing, who are selling to the business buyers or positioning their products against business buyers versus you're not really selling, but actually educating the developers, a whole different ballgame, right? You cannot create fluffy marketing content stuff. That's for sure. It's all about them getting their hands dirty and actually experiencing the, maybe it's the SDK or the APIs, the documentation, the sandbox environment and all of those. It's all about that. And once they do that, that's when they get or build some affinity towards, hey, you know, this is something cool and this is something that I should share with other developers cohort. Yeah. One thing I did forget though, things have changed from the last time. I would say there is a concept of free service not just free trial, free service and freemium offering. So that is very important in our line of business. You've got to give developers their time to play around with your product, right. not just for like hobby projects, but real projects and that to free so they can adopt it for enterprise use cases. Yeah. Yep. And I like the way you phrased it or coined it, which is bottom up evangelization and top down commercialization. Yeah. Right. And this is a very recent understanding of mine also, because, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do I influence and also sustain. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the bottom up evangelization, which is educating or getting to the developers. But how about... How are you approaching your top-down? Because that's also a component of your go-to-market. Yeah. So even the top-down approach has been different from traditional enterprises, companies I've worked for. The reason is because we are a small company. Okay. So I can't afford a full-blown sales teams, if you mm-hmm. may. Okay. And also my buyer persona is a little different. Okay. A salesperson may not know enterprise B2B salesperson may not know how to sell to a developer buyer. Yeah. So we sell through developer advocacy. So I do have a very strong developer advocate, but I would say he's like a hybrid developer advocate because he does wear a little bit of a salesy hat. Mm -hmm. Okay, His objective is to help the developers from the enterprises to use our platform, but also figure out how to monetize the platform that we are offering. So it's a kind of a hybrid approach, but it is through developer advocacy. 
So I have a great developer advocate in Italy, and he is not only able to influence the indie developers, but also the enterprise buyers. He's able to speak their language and to the needs of the domestic market. So this is really, really important for us to make a top-down impact because you really need to be able to understand their use cases, their needs, and position the product correctly for them to be able to try and buy. Okay. So that's the difference I would say, I would see. But as we grow, I think we'll become more traditional B2B as every company evolves. Mm -hmm. But then you will see if critical masses evolve, like uh, you would say, see like 10, 15 developers in a company are using it independently of each other. Then you approach the company and say, you know, 15 developers in your company are using, won't you want an enterprise license? Right for this. And that's a typical bottom-up evangelization leading to actually bottom-up commercialization also. And we will evolve to that. Until then, we have to take a hybrid approach. So we are influencing both sides of the equation, the developer persona, Mm -hmm. as well as the developer buyer persona. Absolutely. I think one of the role models for who's taking this approach or who has taken this approach and been successful is Slack. I think Slack Uh, comes to mind. Yes, yes. Right, bottom up and top down. And uh, yeah, waiting for that day when you and Nimbella actually are up there with those big names. Well, looking forward (laughs) to it. Hopefully we can make it, yes. Yeah, so I think shorter things first. I think clearly you need to have a plan and you have a plan for 2021. Mm -hmm. So what are your big goals and the challenges? Let's start with the goals. I mean, what are your big things that you see from a go-to-market perspective for 2021? Let's talk about 2020. Okay. (laughs) 2020 was an odd year. Okay. Everybody, I think it will go down in history as the odd year. It was not that, I would say it was difficult, but it was not that difficult for tech. Right. Tech actually did pretty okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there were several months in that last year, a lot of companies put brakes on new technology, new exploration, which impacts startups and new technology like us. Okay. Some of that effect was positive that you don't have to travel. Okay. Yeah. You can sign. Uh, right. People are signing million dollar deals on web conference. Okay. Absolutely. And it's right. easier to get that decision maker so easily because he or she is not complaining or talking about flight schedule or travel anymore. Exactly. Hey, let's jump on a call next week. Is that easy? Yes. 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 Absolutely. So there is that advantage of that. But there are other disadvantages. You're not making a connection with your customer. If they are such a big customer and you want to land and expand there, it is hard because you haven't formed that connection. You don't understand them as well as you would have understood if there was a team meeting their team. And it's different. You don't have a captive audience, for instance. So if you look at uh, any conference, uh, I've attended several online conferences because you can attend as many you want. Right. (laughs) You're not traveling anywhere. But the biggest difference is there's no captive audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody is doing 10 different things. Okay, my Slack, I'm getting a message there. Oh, my phone is ringing. There's absolutely no captive audience. Yeah. Okay. You think that since it will be recorded session, you'll come back and listen to it. And this. So that is a challenge. That is a challenge of today. And these are the challenges that we are faced with because we are in the business of influencing developers. We are in the business of influencing the buyer. And that influence actually becomes harder when there is no captive audience anywhere. Okay. And my challenges are the same. There are we, I want to make that impact and we are going to keep on trying those same things. Okay. We are going to, it's easier to get people in the meeting. True. 
Okay, but it is harder to get repeat of those meetings because you've met them once. You're going to show them similar thing next time. There are no other venues to meet. For instance, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. met them, you had a phone call. Right. You met them at a conference. You followed up from the conference. Those right. avenues are not are all gone. So these are my challenges that I'm still working with. We have a line of sight to our 2021 goals, but there's a lot of work to be done, and we are limit always limited by resources. Yeah, so something that I've seen other companies do well, and something that I articulate in what I call as the content to revenue manifesto, uh-huh. which is where companies that get it right are those that are investing in content and almost creating like a brand or a self PR machine, right? Yeah. It's not PR in the negative sense. It's about yeah. how do you drive awareness? How do you get people to know what you do and have them see you as an expert? How do you stay top of mind? Yes. Because everybody, so there's so much material nowadays and there's so many conferences you can go attend, so many events you can attend because there's no travel. And there is a lot of podcasts, a lot of blogs, a lot of the, how do you stay top of mind in the midst of so much information? And how do you produce the right content? Okay. So those are the challenges. And because everybody is doing, everybody's on one platform now, that is your virtual platform. Okay. You are competing for the mind space on that platform. And uh, that's a challenge. Yep, absolutely. So I'll make a mental note and maybe I'll follow with you and your head of marketing later. And we can run you and the team through that content to revenue manifesto. So one of the parallels and something that I've seen is, so think of it as, how code or writing code is to developers, uh-huh. content is the same thing. It's the same currency for your marketing and sales. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And that is where the better your code, the better your product. Same thing for content. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, unfortunately for companies like us or what I do, we help people and companies actually get better at developing content because that's the currency for marketing and sales and even customer success. It's about how do you create content where you're seen as delivering value first, Mm -hmm. and then people are attracted towards your channels, your expertise, and your mindshare. You have to stand out. Otherwise, you're just... uh, I say, how do you look for your zebra in a field of ponies? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. So I know we are running out of time a bit over here, and let's dive more into last couple of questions over here. So for every leader and every go-to-market leader or every person clearly staying on top of your game, staying in touch with what's the reality out there and staying in touch with the community is key. And learning is a big process. So question to you, Anshu, is how do you stay on top? What are the big things that you're really curious about from a go-to-market perspective and how do you stay on top? So the big things that are always I'm looking for engaging my ICP Mm -hmm. all the time. Okay, how do I engage with my ICP in a way that I am not blatantly marketing to them? Okay, that's the big thing. So I find ways through hackathons. I find ways, as I mentioned, gamification and content. So we publish blogs and all, all the time. Okay. For me, I personally actually read a lot, but not books. There are so many good books, but I really don't have time to read books, but I consume it in bite size and curated and medium blogs, even corporate blogs. Some corporate blogs are so good. I also look at 
Hacker News, Reddit forums, because, yeah. you know, these are the places where my buyer persona hangs out. Yes. Okay. They're not comprehensive, but they are the talk of the town. And I need to know what's going on there. I listen to a lot of podcasts and they have been very, very helpful during this pandemic. And there's just a wealth of knowledge. Okay. There have been many events that I have liked. Actually, there, there are a lot of online events, but, uh, you know, majority of them, as I said, you know, they kind of either I say put it off. Okay, that I'll watch it later right. on demand. But some of the live events from the VCs have been very helpful. They like Foundation Capital, Redpoint, Battery Event. They have hosted wonderful events in the area that I am interested in, product-led growth. Yes. Okay, developer growth, all of these. And I have actually learned a ton from them because uh, they were leaders who have taken their company through motions and they had the battle scars scars to show, (laughs) but they overcame the challenges that they faced. So I'm not reinventing the wheel there. I kind of, I'm learning from their experiences. So my knowledge is constantly being added on and it's evolving. And, you know, some things work and some things don't work. But the beauty of today's world is that you can fail fast and move on. And it is not very expensive and difficult to try. Right. Both from the infrastructure perspective and also from a production perspective. Okay. Any content production is can be done pretty economically today, whereas that wasn't the case before. Okay. So those are the things that I keep on trying, keep on learning, keep on experimenting. Experiment is the game. But uh, hopefully there is a formula that clicks like, you know, repeatable. And I found a couple of things like, as I said, gamification, hackathons and content. Also, what kind of content is useful? Okay. That is always changing. Okay. Because there are frameworks, new frameworks that have come up and then there are people who are trying different things. So as always, you're all constantly learning mode. Yep. I think that's the key, right? I mean, it's about having that discipline and the mindset to figure out which specific content or resource that you want to lean into that you can yep. apply today. So that's a framework that I've applied and seen in myself is that's a ton of content, be it books, be it communities, be it forums, their webinars, their podcasts. Yeah. But one framework that I've seen it play out well. And that's something that I think that's what even you're alluding to is what is that one thing that is top of mind for me this week, this month or this quarter, and what resources can I lean into? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Terrific. So one final question for you, Anshu, is if you were to turn back time and go back to day one of your go-to-market journey, so the time when you transitioned from a hardcore PR coding developer engineer to maybe it's your product management job, if you were to turn back time, what advice would you give her? Okay. The advice that I would give her 20 years okay, prior... Lots of wisdom, lots of experience, <laughs> lots of failures. This is just getting bad. That whatever you learned in school... Apply it right then because it's not going to be the same. <laughs> I mean, I, when I started my go to market journey, I was looking at four P's, three C's. Yeah. I mean, I, you right. understand the business yes. school jargon. Yeah. And, you know, it is helpful. Okay. I, have, I, mean, it may, I may call it jargon today, but it's helpful because it kind of frames, puts a structure, but that evolves. Okay. I would advise myself at that time, apply it right now, but keep an open mind that this is not going to be the norm. This is just one single step that you're taking in your go-to-market journey. Always be open to new ideas. Okay. Keep on experimenting. And um, that would be, and one other thing I would say is 
don't wait too long. So, and this is more of a startup wisdom rather than like a large company wisdom. If you haven't even released the product and you want to test the market, go out and test the market. Talk to your prospective customers or prospective users, not because you want to sell to them at that time, but just to understand more because as you are developing it, you your thinking may evolve. So I am not a believer of stealth, as you can understand from me. Yes. <laughs> Go out and pitch. Absolutely. And don't be shy to pitch unless you are doing super secret stuff. Okay. But that's the first advice. And second, don't wait too long to hire your best marketing person. Go for it right away. Terrific. Yep. And I am in the same belief and mindset, which is stealth, unless you're like a super secretive, really hard to get IP, it's a whole different ballgame. But otherwise, I'm a believer and practitioner of this whole agile startup mindset. When we apply agile to developers, two yep. sprints, go test it out, get feedback. It's the same uh-huh. thing for go to market, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks to Eric Reese and Steve Blank, they have preached and promoted this whole lean startup and agile startup mindset. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's key. That is key. And especially from getting feedback to even testing the content and your go-to-market messaging, that is key. Absolutely. It's just not for the product, but even for product-led companies, it's about getting that feedback as to what resonates, what sticks and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have to figure out uh, either you are disrupting or you're creating a new category. So once you figure that out, go full steam. Terrific. Great speaking with you, Anshu. Greatly appreciate the time that you've taken and all the nuggets that you shared. So if listeners want to learn more about you and Nimbella, where do they find you and how do they get to learn more about Nimbella and what do you do? So Nimbella, just go to nimbella.com. You'll find everything about Nimbella. Website is not always perfect, always changing, as I said. Yep. Okay. But enough information there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. So just search for Anshu Agarwal and you will find me. Terrific. Thank you. And wishing you and the team the very best, Anshu. Thank you. Thanks, Vijay. Thank you for your time. Hi there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders podcast. I have all of the show notes and a full transcript on strative.com. S-T-R-A-T-Y-V-E.com subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get a podcast, leave a rating and a review. Your comments will help other go-to-market professionals find this podcast.